Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good afternoon. Welcome to this session on powerlessness, unmanageability, and consequences. And how is my voice coming through? Okay. Thank you. My name is Art, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. I'm going to read the literature here to get the meeting started. I'm joined by Shoya. Uh, Each of us will share our recovery on this topic. Then we will take time to answer questions. Questions will be taken from the Ask It basket. Well, we don't have a basket. If you wish to participate, write your questions on a three-by-five card and place it on the basket on the table. Uh, so, no basket. Now, I've got the three-by-five cards right here on the platform. So, at any time, you're welcome to come up, get a card, get a pen, and uh, write your question down and just uh, put it up on the table for us. In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message. This is a recorded session. The recording equipment will not be turned off during the session. We ask that you please silence all cell phones. Let us open with a serenity prayer. The prayer, God, grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. I will not mind be done. Now, I'm going to set a good example and turn off my cell phone. The essay purpose. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Uh, I'm going to speak for a while, and then uh, Shalya will speak for a while, and then we'll uh, have an opportunity for questions.
My name is Art, and I'm a sexaholic. I'm a weak and fearful person. I fear the disapproval of others. I fear failure. I fear starting things. I'm a compulsive masturbator, but my drug of choice is sexual fantasy. Sexual fantasy is my first drink. That's what will make me drunk. God has kept me sober since August 1985, and, uh, and it is not I who have kept me sober. I have taken certain actions to open myself up to the gift of sobriety, but I never had the power to stop lusting. So, powerlessness, unmanageability, and the consequences. Now that says to me, the first step. I became aware when I first entered puberty that the object of my sexual desire was, was inappropriate, inappropriately younger than I. And that realization was, uh, was the thing that kept me isolated from everyone else, from my parents, from my siblings, from my peers. Uh, I thought I was the only person in the world who was like that. I, before I learned to masturbate, I, uh, and by the way, I use specific language, uh, and, and I don't apologize for it because that describes uh, what I was doing. Uh, before I learned to masturbate, I lived in sexual fantasy. Occasionally, I would indulge in a hero fantasy or a victim fantasy, but mostly it was sexual fantasy and mostly deviant fantasy. Uh, I, when I learned to masturbate, I masturbated compulsively. And uh, to jump ahead, after my first uh, marriage ended in divorce, when I was living alone, I tried to stop masturbating. And uh, I, I was keeping a journal at that time, and I would write in the, the margin of the journal. I, had, I said, I'll control this masturbation. I'll write in the margin, put an M Every day that I masturbate, every time I masturbate, I put an M in the margin of my journal for that. And that way I can monitor my progress in eliminating masturbation. How well did that experiment work? Uh, I could not stop masturbating. But what I learned was, I learned my tolerance. Uh, I could go a day and a half I could go 36 hours without masturbating by white-knuckling it. Uh, and after that, I would masturbate repeatedly to catch up. So, uh, so, so I'm a compulsive masturbator. 
But I want to emphasize that what makes me drunk is the fantasy. Uh, so I was attracted to people of the opposite sex, uh, people my own age and people inappropriately younger than I, and uh, I wanted to relate to girls. But I felt so unworthy because of this deviant direction of my id and uh, because I was masturbating and engaging in deviant fantasies and I felt totally unworthy. So it was very hard for me to relate to girls. And uh, I had a few, a few dates in high school, uh, which I considered to be total failures at the time. Uh, and I think they were. I think I did not relate to the young women in any healthy way at all. Uh, but uh, I went on into my into my uh, uh, into my twenties, desperate to uh, desperate to find someone to marry me, because I thought marriage would make me normal. Uh, I finally found somebody in my late twenties and convinced her to marry me. She didn't think she was ready, but I was desperate. And it's my perception that I wore her down, that I just wore her down because I was so motivated to get married, get married and, uh, and be normal. So we did marry, and it didn't make me normal. It didn't make me normal at all. Uh, and the result was a 10-year knockdown, drag-out marriage that... Uh, was uh, one of God's gifts to me because it rubbed my nose into who I was and I began to realize it. Uh, I, was a, I was a husband who resented any of my wife's needs. I resented if she made too much noise for me. When we had two children, I resented my children for being children. I rented my children for, for, for needing me. Uh, now, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't go around scowling all the time. I sometimes smiled at my children. But I, I think you understand what I mean when I say that I was not very available to them. Uh, I remember, this is a particularly painful memory, uh, that I stopped on my way home from work uh, at a garage sale, and uh, I saw a, a fishing fishing tackle box, plastic fish, fishing tackle box, uh, that I thought, oh, uh, this would be a good box I'd keep my bicycle tools in. So I bought it, and I, and I went home, and I, uh, when I opened the door, my five-year-old son was there, and my son, at that point, fancied himself a fisherman, and he said, oh, Daddy, did you get that for me? And, and I said in a sort of mock 
in a sort of mock, extravagant voice, why would I get this for you? And he burst into tears. So that's, I, I was out of sync with, with, with human relations, with how you treat a child. Uh, and, and by the way, I employed sarcasm and irony with my children uh, in, my, in my drunken periods. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's cruel. Uh, so, uh, so I was powerless and, uh, that marriage ended, uh, and I, I got married a second time too soon. And I'm going to, I'm going to switch over now. I've been talking about powerlessness and unmanageability and consequences, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch over, even though that's our topic, I want to get into the solution. Uh, now, what opened me up? What changed me? One of the great gifts that God has given me is the program, the 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, now, I'm not an alcoholic, but I discovered that I had somebody in my family who was an alcoholic, and I went to an open AA meeting with that person, and that forever changed me, forever changed me in that it caused me to start going to open AA meetings. Now, uh, at that first meeting, uh, a number of women came to me and said, oh, you're an Al-Anon, and I am an Al-Anon. Uh, and I went to many Al-Anon meetings, but I went to a lot more open AA meetings, and I didn't know why. You know, we say, keep coming back. I kept coming back, and I didn't know why the hell I was going to those meetings. But I could not stay away. I went, some weeks I went to five or six meetings, AA and Al-Anon. Uh, I went to more AA meetings than a lot of alcoholics in, during a 10-year period. 1975 to 1985. Uh, and AA started to open me up. Now, I also did some marriage counseling, and that was important. My, my first wife and I said uh, we would go to the marriage counseling, and, and either we would save our marriage or we'd, we'd understand why we couldn't stay married. So I went to marriage counseling, and that helped to open me up. But AA, I heard that gut-level honesty that I didn't have. So uh, I would go to open discussion meetings, mainly, and I had a rule for myself. And, uh, and this rule came somewhat out of the mar- marriage counseling. I realized I was closed up, jammed up. Uh, I realized that, so I made a rule for myself, and I said, uh, I will speak... At, at each meeting, I would speak at least once, and I would try to speak about feelings. I would speak at least once. And because I wanted to ease the pressure on myself, I would put my hand up early in the meeting, early in the hour. And, you know, I'd speak, and I'd say, okay, I've done it. Uh, but that helped me to start opening up. Uh, and AA was a gift to me because... Uh, in 1985, in July 1985, after an open discussion meeting that I went to every Sunday, as religiously as I went to church, 
a six o'clock in the evening Sunday meeting. Uh, after that meeting, a guy approached me and chatted me up. And he started to say uh, that he had a problem with masturbation. He, he said he was recently divorced and he had a problem with masturbation. And I'm thinking to myself, is this guy trying to pick me up? Uh, but I, I allowed that, yeah, I had a problem with masturbation too. And then he told me that there were people who met and worked the 12 steps and called themselves sex addicts. Bingo. I had a name for myself. There was great freedom in that. I'm so smart, I never figured out that I was a sex addict. But this guy told me I was a sex addict. And, uh, and I knew it. I knew it, that, that, that label fit me. So uh, that was a, a great help to me. And eventually, well, I went to some meetings in Atlanta that were not SA meetings, but I got sober. Uh, and uh, then in September 1985, that, that guy and another guy and I started the first SA meeting in Georgia, in Atlanta. Uh, how do I stay sober? How do I stay healthy? I attend three meetings a week. Uh, in my group in middle Georgia, we actually have four meetings a week, for which I'm very grateful. But I don't always make four meetings a week. Uh, I make three meetings a week. Uh, I call other members. I'm, I'm fond of saying the two things that have done most to keep me sober are phone calls and gratitude. So when I am wanting to get into a sexual fantasy, when I am uh, being hit by sexual impulses, I pray to God. I ask God to, to, to relieve me. I try to dismiss them. And if that doesn't work, I call another member. And I say, and I don't get explicit about the fantasy idea, but I, I, I say I'm struggling with the desire to build a fantasy story. I'm calling you as a message to God that I am willing to let go if he will help me. Uh, sometimes I have called a guy and said, I really don't want to make this call, but I'm in the damn habit. <clears throat> you know, when I, when I was an active sexaholics, I had lots of habits. Uh, and uh, so I think it's okay for me to have good habits. And uh, one of the good habits is making a call when I need to. Uh, I have a sponsor whom I call on the phone. Uh, I uh, do service work. Now, I've done, I've done quite a bit of service work in the past in, in, the, in the National Fellowship. Uh, and mainly, mainly today, I, I work locally. Uh, this past year, I was the chairman of our, of our uh, intergroups marathon uh, that we give every October in Macon, Georgia. And... Uh, 
Uh, I sponsor people, uh, so I, I do service. I think sponsoring is, is the thing that actually does more for my, uh, more for my uh, sobriety and recovery than any other service. Uh, sponsoring is wonderful. Uh, so, I've got uh, just a couple more minutes left, and I'll tell you, I'm in my second marriage. I got married too soon after the first marriage was over, and I thought once again that my second wife would make me normal, and she didn't. So I married drunk the second time as well. Uh, don't do this at home. It's not a good idea. And, uh, and my second marriage, the first several years, was pretty rough, uh, mainly because of me. It was pretty rough. But we got through that, uh, and now we've been married for 37 years, and, uh, and the marriage gets better and better. I have four children, two from the first marriage, two from the second, and they show me in many ways that they love and respect me. I have six grandchildren, and my children trust me with them. Uh, my children all know that I'm a sexaholic and that, uh, that I attend meetings. And, and we, like when we come to these conventions, we tell them, yeah, we're going to a convention in Nashville, uh, sexaholics convention. Uh, now, they never have any questions about Sexaholics Anonymous. As my sponsor told me when the first child asked me uh, quite uh, quite uh, aggressively what these meetings were about that I was going to, and I, I talked with my sponsor, and he said, this is how you tell them. Basically, he had me use the 20-question brochure. He said, this is how you tell them, and t- t- tell him if he has any questions to come to you. But, but he said, he won't have any questions, and none of my children has had any questions. Uh, I don't know if they told their spouses. I assume they told their spouses that I go to Sexaholics Anonymous meetings, but I don't know. I haven't asked them. So I guess it's don't ask, don't tell. But uh, God has given me a good life, and I'm grateful to be alive today and grateful to be in this room with all of you. And thank you for listening. The other speaker is Shoya who will introduce himself. Okay. Hi, everybody. My name is Ryan. I'm a sexaholic. And I'll just try to... Sorry. (laughs) Wait. Okay, so again, my name is Raya and I'm a sexaholic. And I'm a little bit afraid, and it's fine and uh, exciting. And I think I have many, many things to say, and this is just too, it's just so I don't have the time for it. And I need to save you all, so (laughs) I want to say it also. (laughs) Okay, so. I would like to begin with my story because that subject of powerlessness and unimaginability is very dear for me and for my recovery. So I would like to explain you why and after that to speak some more about the subject and how 
I find it in my life. So a few months ago, uh, my grandmother leave her, her house. Uh, my father and his brothers uh, sells it. And they go there and went, they went there and find many things that, uh, from the past. And one of the things was a big box of all the things that I and my sister made when we were, when we were children. Uh, drawing and stuff from my uh, children's garden. And I opened it. It was very nice, and I found there many, many things that I liked in myself. But one of them was a little book that I was writing when I was uh, like five years old or something like that. And I opened the book, and it's like, uh, you know, a kid wrote a book. And there's a story in the book. And the story, it's me, like, uh, tell the story of myself. So it's, I have a great family, I have a parents, I have a sisters, I have a grandfather and mother. And then I say, I said, it's right in there, there was a big black hole in the world. Black hole, right? This is, okay. And everyone pulled in, and I'm lonely, and I'm sad, and now there was a sad smileys, and, it was like, whoa, this is, was my conscious since I was young children. So this is just a little story, but what I can tell you is that I have, I had a good family and, and I have a good, uh, I, I was a nice children, I think, and I had the things that I was good at them and I was talented. I'm still and smart. But with it, um, I was pretty lonely and felt like uh, I'm this, there is something disconnected between me and, and the society. And when I've learned to, to read, I just didn't uh, stop to read. That was when I was six years old, seven years old. I always read books. And when I find out that there is a thing in the world called last, so I just took it and didn't leave it. And it's just getting worse and worse. It was when I was 13 years old, I think. I found out that there is a pornography and after that a masturbation. And I just couldn't stop. I just, I think from the first time I've, I, I found the pornography in my iPod, <laughs> I'm young, so this is was the first time. I just couldn't stop doing it all the time. I went to a high school and anytime I could, it, it was a high school that you sleep in and all the night I was looking for Wi-Fi at the village where I, where I learned and it just getting worse and I found, you know, better way for uh, acting out. And this way I got to the program. I was 18 years old. I was very suffered and uh, it wasn't fun at all. And I tried to work the program. I took a sponsor. I did, I did everything he told me. I tried to work the steps. And it didn't work. I've came to the program like five years ago, and now I'm sober for a year and three months. So some, something just didn't work through all those years. And I know to say now that the things that didn't work, it was that I, I couldn't or I didn't want to, or I choose not to admit that I'm a sexaholic. I choose not to admit that I have a problem, that I'm powerless, and that my life had become unmanageable, but totally unmanageable. And I, I've tr I did I did the steps three times. <laughs> I did one step, and then again, and then again. And I went to the group and told and and speak and 
tell that story and it wasn't work. And I remember that the last time I've been doing first step with my uh, current sponsor, something happened. I remember myself leave the group. It was like a year and a half ago and it felt like something broke into me. Something just happened. And okay, I, I, I'm ready to admit that I'm different, that I have a problem. And this is, this is the reason why that subject it's, is so dear for me. I feel it's like the gate to the, to the recovery. And, and I've tried to do it without it. I did, I did a notebook of first step. All the notebook was full with things that I wrote and it didn't make me not happy and not free from lust. So I would like to take a, a little bit about that subject. Um, exactly. So powerlessness for me, it's mean two things. Them both wrote in the, in the big book. It's mean that I have an allergy and that I have an obsession. Okay. So I, I would like to explain it as the big book explained it. I have a physical problem. I have an illness that make me different than the other people in the world. And it has two parts. The first part is that I'm allergic. I, I have an allergy. Like there is someone who allergic to fishes and when he eats fish, so something in him starting to blow or something. So when I'm taking even a bit shot, shot because it's like an alcoholic. So when I take even a little bit of, of shot of lust, it might be by fantasy. It might be by, by pornography, by uh, only the thinking, like maybe I will do this and this when I will come home at night. I just do that. I'm taking the first shot. The allergy is starting. And my response allergy, my illness response allergy, is to mean that I can't stop. When I took the first shot, something into me happened. I remember I was shaking, getting was starting to be warm inside and all, all of that. And I just, I just can't stop. And I can find myself after a, a month of acting out every night, every night. Every night. <gasps> okay. And then something stopped, but it wasn't me. And there's a joke at the alcohol and Alcoholics Anonymous that says it's like dancing with a gorilla. When you start to dance with a gorilla, she decides when you stop, right? <laughs> so this is last for me. So this is the allergy, and you, you might come and say, okay, so if you have an allergy, so just don't take the first shot. Don't take the first look, thought, fantasy. Just don't do it. So I have, I have the second problem, the second part, part of my illness, which is mentally, and this is that I have an obsession. And my obsession is that this weird voice into my head that always telling me, you can do it. This time that will be different. No, he is very, no, she is, this, this time, you had a very, very bad day today. You have a very happy day today. He is really interesting. Okay. All that shit. And every time I believe it. And I, I just, two hours ago, I've acting out and told myself I wouldn't do it again. And I'm doing it again. So this is powerlessness for me. The fact is that I can't convince myself any other things. When I have the obsession, that's, that's very, that, that's bring myself lots of fear because when I have the obsession, I ha I've got nothing to do. My brain will convince me different than what I thought or decided two minutes before. So this is my powerlessness. But for me, the illness is much more about that. For me, the, the first step and 
And my illness is much more about the unmanageability, which is mean, you know, first of all, I don't know, when I was in high school, so my grades in my high school is much, much less than what I could do because I've acting out all the time. <laughs> so this is some kind of un- unmanageability. But I feel like the there is something deeper in my experience. I felt like something just don't work in my life. I, I will try to put my finger on it, but something just don't work. I'm trying to make it work. I'm doing many things. I, I Something just don't work. Something into myself just, it's not, it's, it's like, it's not work. <laughs> and when I was in high school, my last year of high school, I went to a service year. This is something that you can do in my in my country. I went to a different city and I, start to volunteer all day to volunteer and to go to a different high school and make some friendship with people and I remember that everything go right went right everything like I have any friends and they wanted me to be leader of uh, some groups and everything like and I I said the right jokes all the time and and I remember myself going to my uh, spiritual teacher and and tell him look everything is going but something in deep in myself, I feel like everything is a, a automatical, you know, like I'm doing everything right, but everything is wrong. Nothing is working here. And I felt like I'm dying in myself. Something in myself was just dying, sleeping. I couldn't enjoy anything. One of the things that the most impressive me in, in recovery is the fact that I can go outside and just look at the sky and have fun from looking at the sky. So I couldn't do it. And what am I know today about the, my illness that I didn't know before is that I'm, I believe today the God who's I believe in the, the high power and I believe that I'm a pretty unique person, but I'm a unique person like everyone else. I'm special. No, but wait for it. I know I'm special, but <laughs> I'm not like you. But no, I didn't mention for it. I mean, I really, really need God. And when God creates me, he creates a creature which is part of him. I didn't know it when I was acting out. But like Sraya in his full Sraya, okay, when it's working, when ev- when it's real like it should be, it's real that is a usefulness, which mean uh, can help to to others. And it's real that is like a, a vessel of God. Um, I had the word for it. I don't remember what was it, but vessel. You know what is it? Okay. This is me. This is why I've got here. This is what I believe today. And when I'm living like that, so everything is is going right and I thought there's like a puzzle okay and the puzzle is very beautiful it's like a very colorful picture and Sraya is a little piece of it I'm a little piece of it and I just all the time try to take the piece and put it wrong like everything is right, right? there's the colors in the piece and and there's the all the other pieces and and all the world is very beautiful but I did I just didn't know the direction of the peace to put it at the place and that is the the worst and the meaningful unmanageability for me the fact that I just don't live 
my life as the way they're supposed to, and I can't do it different. I don't know how. No matter how much I try, and I was a very spirituality guy, and I learned in a, in a religious place, and I could tell you all the things I'm telling you now, I could told you uh, five years ago, and with much more like a charisma. <laughs> and I just didn't know how to do that. And this is, that is my powerlessness. I can't do it right. I know something wrong. I remember myself walk at the street and tell God after a night, do you know the walking after the night of uh, acting out at 4 a.m., 6 a.m., going outside of the place and just like, what have I done? So I remember myself go over there and just say, tell God, like, can you take me? Can you just, I don't want to hurt anyone because, you know, so just do like I've never been and I've never will and like everyone will forget that there is Raya. So this was my... My feeling. So, um, okay, this is the illness. <laughs> and what am I doing today? And today, and what was work for me? So, first of all, is to take a sponsor that I'm doing twelve step and seriously surrender to everything he says because I can't do it right. I just don't know how. Before I came to the program, I was 17 years old, I took the 12 steps and wrote it on a notebook and told myself, I will do it by myself. I know there is a 12-step program and I, I still have that notebook in my house, so it didn't work. So this is the first thing I've done. The second thing I've done and I'm still doing is to to make a detailed sharing, you know, that you share with friends and you actually tell them what you think, what you've seen, what your uh, fantasies, what is your planning. Because I just can't handle with a little shot because I have an allergy. And I think that the last thing, which is, it wasn't so meaningful at the, at the start of the way, but it, it's now, the last few months, it's starting to be very meaningful for me, is positive sobriety, which means I don't try to, don't act out and don't take last. I try to find out what am I was searching all the time. What, what is the things? I mean, what is the thing I like? What what is my uh, potion? Potion, yeah, passions. What is my passions? Because I believe that my passions is a symbol of of God wants. It's not like uh, a selfish uh, desire of me. I, I'm looking for that, for my desires, for for my passions. To look for what what am I? I mean, I, I want to do it to do it right. And and what am I feel today in the world? And that's cool because I'm now on a, I'm working on my ninth step and every time I do another one, it's like getting better and better and the world uh, looks brighter. Is that I feel like the world is one big picture, colorful picture of harmony and I'm part of it and I can be happy and, and it's very nice to feel comfortable in yourself. <laughs> I never knew how to do that. I'm much less read books or watch movies or doing all the things that in my past I always needed to do because I couldn't handle my life. I just couldn't do it. And this is very powerful for me, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. So, thank you. Would you please... Uh if you have any questions, we've got the, uh, got the cards and the pens, and uh, 
While we're doing this, let me just say, this is about the first step. And uh, I love the first step. There's some people who say, yeah, get through your first step so you can get on to the positive steps. But I love the first step. The first step tells me who I am. That's really who I am. I don't have to live that way. But it helps to avoid unpleasant surprises. So if I'm walking along or driving along or having a conversation with someone and a lust thought comes to me, I don't have to say, oh, Art, that's terrible. You know, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. That's not, that's not worthy of you. No. I can say, oh, there I go again. I'm still a lustaholic. And uh, if I have, uh, if I call my sponsor and tell him the, about a, a fantasy idea that came to me that, that I've had to uh, pray and make calls about, or if I, if I have a lust dream and I call my sponsor and he wants me to report that to him, so I report that to him. He said, well, Art, thank God for reminding you you aren't cured. I love the first step. I see a question. What is the key to being sober and happy? Yeah. I'm fond of saying what keeps me sober is phone calls and gratitude. And gratitude, you know, all those hundreds of open AA meetings that I went to, I heard attitude of gratitude. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful for many things, great and small. I'm grateful that I remembered to stop at the men's room before this meeting. That's important, uh, gratitude. And I believe that nothing that I have that's any good comes from me, but it comes from God. Doesn't mean that I'm not good, but I'm powerless, so it comes from God. Uh, so I would say, for me, practicing gratitude all the time. Sias Exotic. Um, I think it might be the unfunny answer, but to do the 12 steps. <laughs> That's what was worked for me, to do the 12 steps with, with my sponsor. And another thing that I've just heard in, uh, in meeting the past week was that, um, you know, you, you will be healthy exactly how much you want. You will be free just how much you want to be free, which means, God is here, and, and I like to think about it like God is just standing there, upstairs or something, and his hand is like like that. I don't know how to say that in English, but you understand. And he just won't like catch my hands. If you will just admit that you can't do it by myself and catch my hand, I will take you and bring you to such a wonderful world. I mean, look at me. I'm standing here, and... 
talk to you. I couldn't, where does it come from? And I'm on United States. I've never flight by myself before that. I'm speaking English. What? <laughs> All my English is because of my program, because of the messages that I've heard and the books that I've read. A lot of my English. So I, I've, when I observe myself, I, I see that Sometimes I choose to be sad. Sometimes I choose to look at me and compares to myself and says like, oh, shame. And many times in my program, I see that this is a, a, a matter of choosing. Like if I will choose to bring it to God and make the phone call or the gratitude list or just make the action, so it works. When I give up my character defects and give it to God, he took it. But sometimes just keep on holding that and then I'm suffer. <laughs> so that's what's working for me. This one is for me specifically. Uh, 20 questions. What is the 20 questions pamphlet for disclosing to children? What age did you tell them? Was it with a counselor? Those are good questions. Uh, I can answer the first one very simply. That, I, that I, I, This is a misunderstanding. There's not a 20 questions pamphlet for children. Uh, the 20 questions pamphlet is the classic essay brochure. It's on hard, glossy paper. And on the back of it has 20 questions. It has, has the 12 steps in it. Uh, and... Uh, Tell me what else it has in it. It has the, the purpose statement. Uh, so uh, now, my sponsor, so age. My, my oldest child, when he was 17, came to me and said, I want to know what those meetings are that you're going to. Well, he knew I went to open AA meetings, but he, he had figured out I went to other meetings too. Uh, so I said... Uh, give me some time and I'll come back with an answer to you. That was one of the wiser things I've done in life. And so I called my sponsor. I said, what do I do? So he said, give him the 20 questions brochure and tell him that you are a sexaholic, that you attend meetings of Sexaholics Anonymous, and that it's making you a better husband to your wife and a better father to your children. And uh, tell him if he has any questions uh, to come back to you. So uh, that's what I did with him. And uh, I've got four children. That went on for many years. He never said anything to me after that about it. Uh, then my youngest child, who was the, uh, who was the rebel of the family, uh, she was about 21 20 or 21, and she told me that she wanted to know what was going on. Uh, and uh, so I said, well, give me some time. I'll come back to you. So I called my sponsor, and uh, he said, yeah, do the same thing. So I took the 20 questions brochure, gave it to her, and gave her the same response. At that point, my sponsor and I agreed that we could not have the oldest and the youngest knowing about my membership in Sexaholics Anonymous and not have the two middle children know. So I immediately went to the other two children 
and went through the same process. Uh, and it seems it, it uh, well, it hasn't caused any problems that I can tell. And as I say, I've got good relations with my children. What was your bottom? Why did you want to stop? I got sober in 1985. My bottom was in 1980. In 1980, I was acting out, and there was a a series of events that happened that uh, caused me to believe that I had been caught, that I was exposed. And uh, this was on a a particular day, at a particular time, from about four o'clock in the afternoon on in through the evening, this series of events. And uh, so that struck me with utter terror. I thought I was going to lose my marriage, lose my children, lose my job, and maybe lose my freedom. That fear cut through my denial. And I understood that I was truly powerless and that my life was unmanageable. Now, the trouble is, I didn't have, didn't have a program for sexual addiction, didn't know anything about, uh, didn't know I was a sex addict. Uh, I just thought I was on my way to being a jailbird. And uh, so, so that was my bottom. Now, I was already going to AA meetings. I went to more meetings than before. I went to a couple of therapists and said, I've got this problem. What do I do? And neither one could help me. Uh, so it was five years later that the guy 12-stepped me after, uh, after an open AA meeting. So uh, that was my bottom. And uh, it was only five years later that I got sober. So um, I will tell you about my last uh, acting out, my last time of acting out, but I, I should say before that this is not the answer for <laughs> my bottom. Okay, so my last time was um, I was in a meeting of Sexaholic Anonymous and I've said something, recovery stuff. I was sober for two months and a half and I was like, I have so much to give and I look at some human being admitting, which in my head I just make to be a, made to be a last subject. I just lasting and lasted. And when I went home, I just act out through the night and through the night after it and through the night after it, and through the night after it. <laughs> this is was my last acting out. Does that sound familiar to some of you? Because that sounds familiar for me, and this is, there is nothing special about it for myself, because when I've started to, to acting out, and since then, and till I've stopped, there, it was always looked the same. The, the four days, two weeks, two days, half a year of acting out, but it was <laughs> looked the same. So for me, I think that the answer of the bottom is the, that I've choose it. 
I know it's it's a bit maybe no, it's pretty simple actually. The thing is that do you know the sentence that the you you've got to the bottom when you stop digging it? Do you know that sentence? So that was the truth for me, and I think I couldn't admit by myself that I'm a sexaholic. It's also a thing that is it's a miracle because I told you I, I've tried to do that many times and, and it didn't work. But I've got the the willingness to admit that that uh, I'm I can't admit that I'm a sexaholic. So there was some kind of honesty, and I've speak with that with my sponsor, and that what worked for me and why when. I did my uh, fifth step. So after it, there's the, in the book, you should come to your house and take the book and read it and look that everything is on the place. And when I did it, I've like opened the first step and seen again that I don't ready to admit that I'm a sexaholic. And again, I needed to speak with it. And God let me the space to do that. I didn't acting out through this time and I went to speak with my sponsor and my grand sponsor which means the sponsor of my sponsor and and again God gave me God was here was there to show me the way to admit to admit to myself that I'm a sexaholic and that I'm different and all those things and I really think it was about to choose that this is the end and I've just stopped that was the answer for me. Thank you. We just have about three minutes, uh, and we have to close the meeting. Uh, how often do you talk to your sponsor and why? I didn't want to. I didn't want to answer this question. I talk to my sponsor sometimes once a week, sometimes once every other week. Uh, now, the guys that I sponsor, I insist that they call me more often than that. So uh, I've got a double standard. Uh, show you. So I am a sexaholic. So I call my sponsor every day, at least three times. If if he doesn't <laughs> answer, <laughs> this is his rule that if you didn't try to catch me three times, so it doesn't exist. So <laughs> I try to do it every day. Even today, I've I've called him last night at the like uh, 11 p.m. when it was the morning in my country. For uh, he didn't answer, and I. I couldn't try again today because we have a he has a religious thing now. But this is what I'm doing. And I think there is the, the reason for that is first of all because that's what he said and I'm just doing everything he told me. And the second is that I need to be honest with someone. And it, this is, I believe that the only way I could live today is, the, is, is by like asking, like to take the look from inside of me, someone who knows everything, because I'm a very manipulated manipulation. I'm a very manipulation person. I'm all the time manipulated everyone, and I need one human being that know it and know all my secrets, and when I have uh, real things that I need to, to have a conversation about, so he know me. So that's what's working for me.
Thanks, Shoya. And he said something that caused me to say, uh, my sponsor, I need him because I need someone to be accountable to. So the calls that I make are when I need to be accountable to him. Uh, I'm just going to read the last question, let everybody contemplate it. Uh, the person wrote, why is serenity worth it? And then he wrote above serenity, he wrote the words sobriety. So why is sobriety worth it? And I'm not going to answer that question because we're out of time. And I think that's a question that uh, everybody can think about. Now, uh, we will end with the, well, let's see, closing. Thank you all for coming. Closing. Anything you have heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. Principles of essay are found in the 12 steps and 12 traditions. So let's close with the third step prayer. And uh, I'm going to ask people to uh, take hands where they are. And Shoya, maybe you and I can take our hands. And... uh, The prayer, God, grant myself to thee, to build with me, to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, and I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help. Of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life, may I do thy will always. Keep coming back, it works, it can work, it's a work, it's a work. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.